Welcome, one and all, to Discovery, a Star Trek podcast by Fantastic Geek, your official, unofficial Star Trek Discovery podcast. My name is Matt, and joining me, as always, is Pete. Hello, Pete. Our bond, it seems, is strong enough to cross universes. Discovery, a Star Trek podcast by Fantastic Geek for episode 112, Vaulting Ambition, comes to you now via Buried Human Memory and Grams. And just a bit of fleet news before we arrive at the episode. want to mention that we were tickled pink in the last week to receive not one but two tweets from Ted Sullivan. He of co-executive producer status and uh, obviously a force on the writer's room. Uh, the first one of a little uh, interest was uh, in response to another question I had thrown his way yesterday, which essentially was, hey, how about combining the first two episodes? Because this past week and I... I introduced my parents and brother to Star Trek Discovery and it crossed my mind, hey, they're kind of one episode. His response, there are guild issues with doing that. Um, I certainly wasn't going to then say, please Mr. Sullivan, tell me more about the different <laughs> guilds. Probably uh, here's what crosses my mind, Pete. The modern way with, where you don't really have a credit sequence, it's now easy to go, part one directed by so-and-so, part two directed by so-and-so, part one written by, part two written by. These credits, you know, in this slightly older style, don't have the space to do that. Maybe it's just a credit issue. Maybe it's broadcast versus streaming. I don't know. But as long as these people are getting their their due credit, their due residuals, whatever, it's all good. Absolutely. And more than happy to speak to Mr. Sullivan. I interacted during this evening's uh, live tweet, Matt. I had tweeted the, the one great line. That uh, Mirror Stamets attempted to get over on uh, our Paul Stamets, that there is a god and she's very, very mad at you right now. And lo and behold, episode writer Jordan Nardino uh, liked the tweet. So they're out there. They are out there, Pete. In fact, a couple days ago, Ted Sullivan had tweeted at us completely uh, unasked for. He said, really enjoying the thoughtful discussion, enjoyed pulling a hashtag Harry Mudd and going back in time to listen to the Lethe episode. That's the one he wrote, Pete. Thanks for the support and insight. Pete, if we're given, and maybe he's just being complimentary, and if so, we'll take it. But if we are giving the guy who wrote the episode some even just fan insight, that that is bold praise indeed. Thank you, sir. Absolutely. And now for the mission briefing. Our teaser, Matt, begins with a shuttlecraft departing the Discovery made to look like an ISS uh, shuttlecraft. They're uh, rendezvousing with the ISS Charon. It's classified location 27 million kilometers away and this is a perfect time for burnham and Lorca to catch up here uh alone she's received a message from saru before they left the defiant uh redacted information uh did reveal that they came through interphasic space but the coordinates have been struck from the record Uh, They're going to have to hunt down the original report in the Imperial Palace where they are headed. Given that so much of this episode written, as you said, by Jordan Nardino, uh, so much of it is is payoff, you know, to the two chapters, to a whole bunch of storylines. It certainly doesn't feel that way, nor does this initial scene, which really 
in terms of its narrative purpose, it's an information dump. It's a catch-up. It's a reminder of the Defiant stuff and the info from there and where they're headed and how they're getting there, all of that. And it just plays easy. It just plays smooth. Um, there's even a misdirect, I would argue, Pete. I don't know whether this is from the script or from the uh, from the direction, but when Burnham gives uh, gives Lorca the analgesic to numb his pain receptors, mm-hmm. there's this lingering shot of the hypospray mark, and I was saying, "Oh, there, Pete, that's gonna." Well, I would have said, <laughs> "Pete, that that's gonna come back and uh, you know check off uh, injection point." <laughs> yeah. Instead, it's just a shot held for 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 a moment in, in an episode, Pete, with a reveal that had been discussed but i in no way saw coming but we'll get to that in due course yes and with that uh that hypo there that analgesic to numb the nerve receptors as he has requested matt um we talk about uh what the mission is get the data on the defiant and get us out of there he knows that she will and this is very much a an episode about people having faith in Burnham, regardless of what universe she's from. That certainly is true. And uh, there's also some discussion here with with Burnham uh, afraid, having seen Georgiou die once before. This feels like a reckoning. Um, Lorca says that uh, Georgiou Prime is a ghost. And then we have the, uh, the, the, the evocative line, haven't you ever been afraid of ghosts? Um, I, I dare say Pete delivered a bit better in the episode than the mysterious tweet that the, uh, Star Trek CBS account had, which was very similar to this dialogue, but immediately made me think of Ghostbusters. This episode, this line, however, it did not. Yeah. And from there, Matt, they come out of warp to this gigantic ship with a sun-like orb in the middle there the the big superstructure uh above it so maybe maybe it is a sun and they're powered by it we we didn't get the explanation there but except for the the reveal toward the end of how light obviously bothers people from this universe so let's power our ship with a gigantic light and i will say if it is a uh, a quote-unquote loose thread we're, you know, Pete, we've had these discussions in the past. What is the maturity of the writing room? How, how do they work? How complex do they are? How well do they hide secrets, etc.? I have every confidence that in the these remaining episodes, particularly now that their chief engineer is up and running uh, by the end of this one, we're going to get some sort of line, some sort of reference. Um, they're, they're leaving that as a seed for, for future. Oh, absolutely. That was not a gripe. That was just... Hey, <laughs> here's this giant thing. And, you know, consider that as we learn at the end of the episode, everyone in this universe suffers from uh, sensitivity to light photosensitivity. And they have this gigantic thing for all intents and purposes beneath where people hang out on their ship. We go to the title sequence, which uh, credits the aforementioned Mr. Jordan Nardino, as well as episode director Ms. Hanel M. Culpepper, maybe Pete, the best TV director name we have ever discussed. Uh, She a veteran uh, of a variety of episodes, some in the geek uh, lineup, The Flash, Gotham, etc. Even Pete, all the way back, a documentary short in 2005 entitled How to Stand in Line for Star Wars. We're going to have to circle back (laughs) around to that one maybe this spring or summer. 
Absolutely. We come out of this into the first act, Matt. Uh, Tilly is telling Saru that the improvement on uh, Stamets' condition since restarting spore therapy here, his neural activity has increased. There's uh, infra-low waves off the curve here. His, uh, his glucose and oxygen consumption is up significantly, but uh, other than him really looking good and those things, they don't have a lot to go on despite that dewy skin. And you know, it's that line, the dewy skin, where there's a habit, again, to kind of return to this theme of, now that we're really starting to understand how the writing room works, they are never afraid to do tons of techno babble, but it's always capped off with something that everyone at home can digest, whether you're a six or 36 or 66, where you go, okay, well, that all sounds good and was positively stated. Oh, he has a dewy look. Okay, that sounds good. Thumbs up. So again, they kind of know how to, how to deliver the sci-fi and then make sure everybody is on the same page. That uh, conversation, Matt, turns quickly to the information they need about the Defiant, that that could really be their only way home that or the spore drive that is locked inside of Stamets's brain, which is currently in the mycelial network. So we get this clearly stated objective, for lack of a better word, two ways to get home. One is Stamets, who can't work the spore drive. Let's stick a pin in that for later. I'd hate to not have new spores. The other is the defiant data. So again, it's kind of this Amidst all this other stuff going on, it's keep the audience oriented to Stamets gets them out with spores or the Defiant data, which, Pete, I don't watch the previews. Come on. we got to be headed towards the Constitution <laughs> class Defiant that's been modified in the last 100 years, right? Fingers crossed. But it's one of those two things that's made clear. And uh, ultimately, Sarah gets called away to a medical emergency, which struck me as strange, Pete. There must be a VIP in distress there. Yeah, right. And uh, Tilly closes out the scene, wondering if the lieutenant is still in there. Yes. And then we're led by Mirror Stamets here with our Stamets wondering, if is, is he dead? Where is this that he is? Is Mirror Stamets some kind of narcissistic Virgil to lead him to judgment? Uh, the great line about uh, God being a woman and uh, really upset with him only to reveal, ha ha. You should have seen your face, our face, whatever. <laughs> um, but the uh, the vision takes on the version of the Discovery Hallway, which is the mycelial network attempting to familiarize Stamets with his surroundings, which I thought was an interesting aspect. Also, fair is fair, an opportunity to reuse the already standing set in an episode where you're right. creating some other sets for uh, for uh, for the Chiron. So, <laughs> hey, thanks, Mycelial Network, for being so convenient. Um, we get the uh, revelation here that Mirror Stamets is in a coma as well, the Imperial Palace ship. And, uh, hey, that's what Stamets Prime has seen. The palace ship, Tilly is a captain. Turns out these were all fleeting attempts by Mirror Stamets to make contact, which, gee whiz, Pete, that answers the question of Stamets in the Mirror from all those episodes ago as we get payoff after payoff after payoff in this episode. Yeah, he's been monitoring his comings and goings, trying to make uh, connection, uh, those glimpses. 
And now with that explanation of what he's seen, um, the idea of an exit, and that's where Stamets comes in, our Stamets. He's the navigator, will navigate us the hell out of here. Uh, and they try to get to his lab. There's some whirring, and we hear that there is something con- corrupted within the mycelial network. You do not want to get swept up into it, he tells him. Uh, Mirror Stamets did once. He was lost for days. And they managed to head to engineering before blood or some other red growth is about to uh, consume them. Um, and uh, in and sealed into uh, engineering, uh, they uh, they need to try to find their way out before we flip it over to the palace. And a character in Maddox who looms large at the beginning and at the end of this episode. Yes, and I, I'm 99% sure that he was, uh, in fact, now I'm 100% sure now that I think it through, he was the first one on the hollow phone um, towards the end of last episode proclaiming that, uh, you know, the Empress is on her way. He's the captain of the ship. Yes. Uh, so I like that we kind of got that brief introduction last time, and then uh, we get more of him here. Uh, he gives quite the introduction for the Empress Georgiou. Pete, I'm sure you have much more detail than I, <laughs> I do. I'll, I'll mention that what tickled my ear was Regina Andor. Yes, if you're referring to Matt, Her Most Imperial Majesty, Mother of the Fatherland, Overlord of Vulcan, Dominus of Quonos. Uh, I was I was praised for my Tukuma accent, uh, my 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 Volk last week so I, I gotta come with that dominus of Quonos, uh regina andor all hail the emperor philippa georgiou augustus ioponius centaurius yowza um burnham is tasked at this point with choosing a kelpian of which there are three um i, I think she chose saru pete maybe i'm part of the problem not being able to tell kelpians apart i hope i hope that's Would... not the case would Saru from the mirror Shenzhou suddenly be available in a in a lobster lineup? Pete, I, I don't I don't know how I don't know how the uh, buffet service works there. But bottom line, um, I guess if nothing else, an opportunity for some of the some of the stunt doubles or whatever to uh, to be seen. Um, I know Doug Jones in the last week posted a picture of uh, him in costume and makeup talking to his uh, to his. Um, counterpart his his stunt double in costume and makeup um regardless though pete that that fateful decision that's going to come back and break all our hearts in a little bit and turn our stomachs uh, is quickly swept aside as uh as burnham says that she has brought a present she's brought Lorca for justice and uh wow pete just replaying this mentally the all the uh this is an episode that needs a second and a third and a fourth view i mm-hmm. dare say but Georgia considers him and he refuses to bow and uh, gets beaten with a club. Some great, great design there on the club. Uh, that's probably not where I should have been focused since he was hurt and on the ground and blood splattered. But every last detail showing up on screen. And he's told his life will be long uh, and every minute of it will be spent in their agonizers. This is a fair price to pay for his vaulting ambition that's the name of the episode pete it's the name of the episode and that is a direct shakespearean allusion to uh macbeth indeed with that he's uh, taken to vault c 
and uh, Georgiou calls Burnham to her. Uh, Georgiou is happy that Burnham didn't die. There's applause from all assembled there in the uh, in the throne room. Um, perhaps I'm Pete. I know there's only so many variations on a throne room, but to me, it kind of looked like space imperial Game of Thrones throne room. Yeah, um, the the rotating uh, throne was a nice touch, which which works well in the throwing star scene <laughs> that it does. Um, Burnham is ordered to, to be brought to the residence for dinner. And I have in my notes here, Pete, I know it kind of ultimately did not seem to come to pass from what we saw in this episode, but certainly there seemed to be a familiar spark between them. I wondered if perhaps it was, uh, it, it was romantic. We learned later in the episode uh, that it seems to be exclusively uh, uh, maternal uh, in, in in connection, but there's the familiarity. Far be it for me to say that uh, the, the Game of Thrones familial relations don't exist in uh, the Mirror Universe. We know that the the Prime Federation Universe would 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 be far too civilized for brother and sister, um, daughter and mother, uh, but the the name check here of dear daughter uh kind of put it fairly plain for that as we head to the second act we come out of that act break with tyler freaking out in sick bay i will kill you all he says in klingon uh the the medical person there perhaps the doctor a little difficult to tell the rank what with all the flailing about by tyler but um mm. the, the 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 medical person notes that his genome is human but his brain waves are decidedly klingon which is a new a new uh well the beginning of a new presentation for the tyler vox situation tyler's fit passes and um which also i think is interesting i had just kind of given tyler up for okay vox is back the end but Tyler here, he wants to make sure that Burnham is all right. He asks Saru for help. Then the fit returns. Pete, we are seeing Vok v. Tyler on his face. Yeah, it's worse than uh, a muck time here. Kirk Spock fighting inside. Um, and we go from that to Lorca thrown into an agonizer rather quickly just to understand where he is before dinner with the emperor and uh her daughter slash protege and uh it's revealed that the dinner is kelpian but please uh, have feel free to have the emperor's slice of the ganglia right on the on the um the chopsticks no less that if there's no other way to eat threat ganglia matt it's definitely with uh chopsticks um you know you deserve a treat <laughs> after all uh but if georgiou was so generous she wants to know why burnham left her she gave her the best education riches her own ship but uh burnham uh, is adamant that she earned that command, which she proved hesitant to use at Harlack, and Georgiou had to show up and prevent the rebels from escaping. Um, and the discussion of whether Burnham has become soft or Georgiou too cruel before the discussion of Lorca having men everywhere, which I think is something moving forward as well. I, I thought for a minute that's where the Maddox turn 
once he relieved those two uh, soldiers in the uh, the agonizer in Brig C was going to go, but it didn't. Um, but uh, it would have made the ambush impossible, uh, says Burnham. Uh, but uh, Georgiou could never tell when Burnham was lying, takes out the knife there, holds it to her throat. And uh, even as a child, uh, she says that she was trying to outsmart Georgiou, the loss of her parents. Uh, was that it? Was it the attention that the emperor gave to the empire? Are you just built that way? She was never satisfied. And then she collaborated with Lorca and conspired to kill Georgiou and take over the throne. Yeah, some some successive oopsie-daisy mo- moments here, to say the least. This uh, this accusal of, you know, here to conspire and take the throne Turns out Burnham has uh, landed in the belly of the beast here. Burnham tries to gain favor by calling her Philippa. And that's another oops. Not so long ago it was mother. And just clearly this, you know, we've seen so many times that that our heroes from the Federation enter the mirror universe and put on the different clothes and act a little tough. And it all kind of works out. And I like that there's a deconstruction going on here where Burnham is entirely unsuccessful in this scene twice over. She ends up uh, getting taken out by the guards uh, with the uh, the re- reveal that she will be executed at the Emperor's own hand, but in a little bit because we have some more story. Yes, looking for the exit here from the network. Stamets and Mirror Stamets trying to get their bearings and um, looking at the holographic ship of the dead, which I thought was interesting and all the jumps, but huh, Matt, it's funny. The coordinates of our final jump were not there. Why weren't they there? Uh, well, we'll find out in due course. That's because somebody uh, we has... know why they aren't there. Because Lorca put them in, and he doesn't have access to them in the mycelial network. Uh, well, I just meant in—I meant in terms of the full power of that of that change. We'll, we'll find out why that change has occurred. Um, but certainly, you're correct that there's this there's this separation between the the mycelial world and the real world, or the other real world, I guess. Um, but uh, it's at this point that Mirror Stamets is caught lying. They're bad liars in both universes. He's lying about this infection in his arm. Uh, he's been in the network too long. Armorilia Ostie, <laughs> I thought, interestingly named. It's an infection on his arm, Armorilia. <laughs> That's just how <laughs> it goes sometimes. Yeah. Um, Stamets hears Culber, and, uh, who seems to pass by quickly. We'll find out that's... Uh, that's on purpose on Culber's part. Um, with that, Stamets is after him, despite the fact that he's warned by Mira Stamets that that may result in him being lost in the network forever. Yeah. And to have Culber show up, we knew that it was going to pass this way. They've been upfront that we were going to see him again, to what extent that remains to be seen. But to that be the thing uh, to to draw Stamets's attention away, um, to pull him deeper into the network was, uh, I, I think, the most logical and the most beautiful story beat 
of a, of a rather brutal episode. Before that, we're back in the throne room where the sentence is about to be carried out. That we are. And uh, the emperor uh, asks for, for last words and Burnham will not give her the satisfaction of pleading. In fact, Burnham going for, for what briefly crossed my mind is might be a prime directive um, issue, although I guess we'll have to get our uh, multi-universal uh, or multiverse legal team on the case, but I digress. Burnham decides to go for the truth. She's from another universe. She has proof in her pocket. Wait a minute, Pete, I know what it's going to be. It's Georgiou's badge that she was playing with at the very top of the episode. I see what you did there, episode. Um, Lord Elling, who gets a name because he's not about to exit, uh, retrieves it. What is it? As I mentioned, it's the comm badge. Uh, I guess it's not a comm. Well, that's that's the future, but it's her badge nonetheless. Mm-hmm. Um, and Burnham suggests that uh, that uh, the Empress, Emperor pardon me, uh, search it for the quantum variance it's also, Pete, a proof of their bond across the universe's tier. A little bit of a, I don't know if it's an error so much as just an error in phrase. She says that uh, the, the variance from my world is subtle, but their world, universe, okay. Could be used interchangeably, but I, I thought it was an interesting choice of words. It can't be faked. And it belonged to her captain. It belonged to you. And with that, she takes a little disc off the thing there, throws it through the heads of her inner circle, and then asks Lord Ealing if he can keep a secret. Of course he can. Clean this up. Never speak a word of it. And I'll make you governor of Andor. We return after this act break, Pete, to the good ship discovery. Saru is giving Laurel food, and Laurel knows that he wants something. Uh, references made to Tyler thinking he's a Klingon. Again, they're still kind of saying, how have you made him think this thing? Uh, can't you help him, in fact, is, is uh, Saru's question. Um, but Laurel says, this is as it should be. Beneath this weak carriage is a warrior who will win the war. And yeah. Then, his his chosen Takuma's chosen successor will light the way for their race. So, Valk seems to take on even greater significance every time uh, Laurel speaks about him. Now we've had kind of, we've had Laurel on the sidelines for the most part since her capture. Yes, she's been injected to the story into the story a bit as Tyler uh, has evolved. Tyler's understanding of himself has evolved. I like here, though, that they, they get a larger payoff. Because not for nothing, I think we kind of suspect, you know, Mary Chifo is such a force on Twitter and such a passionate uh, face for Star Trek here. Please, oh, please don't kill Lorel off at the end. You know, I, I know we're not quite at a point in, in the Star Trek timeline where you could have, I don't know, a Klingon join the ship or something like that. But we need to get her more involved here, I mm-hmm. think, is kind of the fan desire. And what do we get here the perfect excuse to get her involved. They are in a universe where there is no war. The Klingons have lost. So there is no messianic um, elevation of the race there. I mean, I don't know that the race themselves are done with, but certainly there's no one to hear Vox's message. All that remains for Lorel is, is helping them understand the line between Vok and Tyler. Uh, and then Pete, take us through kind of this this new reframing of the backstory that that is Tyler slash Vok. Yeah, it was pretty interesting here with 
the the news of the parallel universe she greets these as lies um but the the jeopardy that tyler slash valk is in um she takes us through tyler was captured at the binary uh the battle of the binary stars they harvested his harvested his dna and then modified valk uh into a shell that appears human and they grafted the psyche of Tyler on top of that. Valk was given, has given body and soul for the ideology. And if he suffers, Matt, the rather Klingon, uh, so be it. That this is what it means to be a soldier. This is war, which uh, Doug Jones is able to turn back on her as Saru so eloquently not very long from this for discussion in our theory segment since they're kind of reframing the the vok tyler recipe you know what separation can occur but that for later on as well uh ultimately laurel rejects helping in any way uh probably because she's aware we're still in the first half of the episode and and (laughs) that's more of a second half of the episode kind of thing Said with love, dear writing staff. Come back to me in Act (laughs) 4. For it is written in Act 4, I shall help. Uh, We return to Stamets in the network. Pete, a lot of references to the network here. I guess in the future, they don't know everything is streaming. But I digress. Well, not everything, Matt, streams correctly. Well, yes. you, You did have some problems with a particular anonymous newer streaming service, didn't you? Oh, did I? Uh, but in this working, functioning network, Matt, Pete, it's not fully functioning. It's <laughs> it has a flaw in it. Pete, did CBS a dri- all access? A drip is not a flaw. But okay, but the dripping CB- stopped. Did CBS All Access put you through what it would have been like for Stamets and Mirror Stamets in their network? I have no proof. I'm not still in some kind of <laughs> mirror network network mirror who, who knows uh but into the the barely lit halls and then into what seems like his quarters that i'm sure they they just redress depending on you know is this is this burnham and tilly's quarters today is this uh uh colmer and, and stanitz the dripping stops and it's hugh there brushing his teeth and they go right to it matt uh, before he's tried to lure him with dinner, with wine, but here he's lured him with the uh, interest of telling him he's gone. He's sorry uh, to tell Stamets this, but he died. So many thoughts here, Pete. First, people. some people were, I think, very rightly... Uh, I was going to say apoplectic, but that sounds like they were overdoing it. I don't think they were. People were very upset, not just that Culver was killed, but that he was killed so quickly without any kind of narrative end, particularly since this is the first gay couple in Star Trek and what it means in 2018 and all of that. Um, And then as I think, I'm I'm, I'm sure I had mentioned on Twitter, there was a a tweet, I think, from Wilson Cruz who had said, essentially, you know, keep watching there is hope and it was like guys he's trying to tell you that they didn't just randomly out of the blue kill off a gay character to 
score a cheap story point, like many other shows have done in the past, this show is a bit more elevated in its understanding here. Um, I, I would still personally theorize we have more Culver ahead of us, but regardless, this is such a lovely, tender scene. We're back to the this monotony of brushing his teeth, and I mean that with only admiration towards the writing and towards the towards the scene here. Um, little little lines. He's glad that that uh, that uh, Stamets is home, and um, then this, as you mentioned, Pete, this evolving understanding that Stamets is indeed dead. And uh, we'll return to that, but from that just quiet, tender, lovely scene, Pete, back to the Chiron we go. Take us through that scene. Yeah, that there's no reason Burnham tells uh, the Emperor to hold the captain any longer. He's not there. Lorca shouldn't suffer for Lorca's crimes. And you've got to wonder at this point, does Georgiou know this is mirror Lorca and not uh, United Federation of Planets, Lorca, which demonstrates a pretty fair awareness of the Federation and and the damage they could do to her empire. Just a quick scan of the notes here ahead. I would argue, yes, Georgiou does know, and probably she's holding it off, not because she knows she needs to wait until you know the final act reveal, but because she's sadistic and holding off. We get a bunch of different story things going on, presumably running in parallel. Um, you know, whether it's Lorca and the Agonizer, whether it's the Disco Sick Bay, things like that. Um, the Brig. So I think that. The, how about this way? Had we not cut away to those other scenes, the reveal is probably you know a couple of minutes away for Burnham. But for the purposes of the of the narrative, it's held off. Um, and we get some of these really juicy lines. You know, the Federation Patui. That's my interpretation of the line. <laughs> but you know, freedom, cooperation, all delusions that Equality. fuel rebellions. Matt, yes, yeah. cornerstones, but delusions, Terrans. Um, shed millennia ago that fuel rebellions. Um, I know there's been a lot of speculation with some of the terminology that the the Terran Empire thing goes back, uh, you know, e even further than some idea of Nazis that it might go back to the Romans, given the the introduction that Georgiou gets in this episode, um, but that they've intersected here again, that this has happened before that the defiant cross through interphasic space. Uh, it's a temporal anomaly. It had devastating cognitive effects. Everybody went insane. They took each other apart and now we're directly going to the Tholian web, Matt, which is what happened on the Defiant uh, when the Enterprise found it. Essentially, well, first of all, Pete, I, I must confess, despite having seen uh, those episodes uh, in a mirror darkly uh, within the last two weeks. No, um, no, 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 no. The Tholian Web. <laughs> oh, original right. series, bro. We're 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 connecting to 1967, 68 here. Right, I'm sorry. I was I was thinking on the receiving end of the the interphasic shift, but okay. Bottom line is this idea of they went mad. Why you know mad? Um, and I think as a the, the question of a prime directive factor aside, 
we know Burnham should not give this awful regime too much information. Mm-hmm. Um, I think we also have a sense, quite frankly, because it's the prime storyline. We know, you know, that whatever damage she does, we will have already seen in Mirror Mirror and in the Deep Space Nine episodes that go there. But it's like, no, don't give them too, too much information. What does she do? Uh, we are here because of an interphasic spore drive. Okay. It's traveling my ceiling. Not, a, not an interphasic spore drive, a displacement activated spore hub drive. Matt, don't confuse your, oh. your mirror tech and your, you know, one of a kind uh, prime universe tech. <laughs> Incompatible. Enough. Incompatible to this point, unless the writers determine they, they are. <laughs> Wouldn't you know it, Pete? Georgiou wants one of those too. Um, I, I wonder too, you know, we'll, we'll catch in next episode. How ha- what has Mirror Stamets done in that neck of the woods? But Georgiou wants one and proposes a trade. The schematics on the disco for the Defiant dossier. No, there? that's not what it is. What no, is the, it, Pete? The exchange was the schematics for Burnham's freedom. But surely they need the Defiant information at some point. Uh, you sure but that's not what that? was dangled. Uh-huh. <laughs> that's not what was offered. Well... Darn it, Pete, if Burnham is is a, is a deal maker the way all great deal makers are, she should go back to that table. But bottom line is this, Pete. Can you trust Philippa Georgiou? Was she a woman of honor in her universe? See, making deals. The story returns to the disco brig where uh, Saru shows Laurel video of Tyler having hurt himself. Um, scratched up his chest, Pete, you know other shades of other star treks where people have had chest cuts um <laughs> still though laurel won't help usually pete the chest cut is the most the most moving type of cut but she won't help um, hopefully they don't have uh seti alpha worms seti alpha eels in uh the mirror universe <laughs> uh saru essentially may i pause and say Saru is so wonderful in these scenes. Doug Jones brings a conviction to Saru where you say, you know, yes, he might be, we might have an overwhelming memory of him in the first two episodes where he's a more junior officer and where he's more conservative. He is completely capable of being first officer. He's being, he is completely capable of being acting captain. And you see it here where here is compelling evidence. Will you help? No. Okay. Boom. Beam in Tyler. Saru says, peace out. Good luck. You know, I'm going to let you deal with this yourself because we can't deal with it. Um, we can't keep him contained. Um, and then he's ready to leave. And then Laurel says, having been manipulated by the master, uh, you know, the, the master logician here, <laughs> it can be undone, but only my hands can do it. And I think Saru was essentially like, yeah, that was the idea all along. You just got played by a Kelpian. Exactly. Act four begins, Matt, of course, with Lorca screaming there. Maddox relieves those two uh, officers, crewmen, etc. He's going to take it from there. Um, and we uh, we go to the discussion about uh, where he was hiding when the Baron was blown to bits, um, that the loyalists were all rounded up. They had to clear out the aft hangar bay uh, and fill it with agonizers to accommodate all of Lorca's friends there. So now it's just the two of us. And with just the two of them, Matt, I'm sure everything will go to plan. (laughs) Um, Quickly, we get uh, 
you know, we get um, th- this reveal that the beef between them is personal. It mm-hmm. was Maddox's sister. And um, a uh, another guy is brought in who uh, is later named, I believe, in the subtitles as Barlow. Um, but well, actually, he's not brought in quite yet because uh, Maddox says he has DNA from a parasite. What parasite, Pete? Uh, that would be the Contaxian parasite on Tanata 7. Don't act like you're not aware of it. Now, Pete, I don't have my copy of Worlds of the Federation in front of me. It's, and it's a bit outdated at that. Does that parasite mix well with humans? Is it one of those good parasites like in your gut to help you, help you digest? It does not mix well with our DNA in particular, Matt. He wants him to admit what he did. And with this prisoner brought in, uh, Gaborka is, is trying to get him to show the, the stiff upper lip and, and chin up there. Uh, and uh, all Maddox wants is the information on the sister. And he puts the hypo into this uh, crewman which then causes his skin to glow red and for him to spray all over Lorca's agonizer. As gruesome as it is, I love the extra bit of, I don't know, gristle that gets thrust yeah. upon the the, yeah. the the door of the agonizer. I mean, maybe Maddox doesn't understand like bloodborne pathogen protocol. He, <laughs> He didn't do himself a favor, uh, and Lorca is, yes, in an agonizer booth, but he didn't get any on him. <laughs> uh, that is uh, that is true. Um, ultimately, though, uh, we get this, you know, in, in, amidst all of it, highlighted for later that Maddox just wants Lorca to say his sister's name. Um, <laughs> from that sickly scene, we go to the disco sickbay. Lorel's doing her thing with the hand things that do things it's all very clear pete because there's a display in the background that shows his brain and the sounds seem to be better not worse um she wants to see the klingon emerge he starts to call out for kalis he cries out in klingon then in english or terran basic or as, whatever as speaking. it changes over which i thought was interesting seems like more of the prayer here starting with Kales, and then father, give me wisdom, mother, give me drink, brother, now in English, um, give me strength, sister, give me family. And we see it's a big flashback episode, Matt, between the Lorca stuff and um, Valk Tyler here. We see the, the torchbearer handover. We see... Um, Laurel and uh, Valk when they were looking over the uh, the holographic information on the Shenzhou when they went back and, and harvested the, the one drive there. And then she wails almost as if, Matt, Valk is gone. One certainly does get the impression that if you're Team Tyler, this was a good um, this was a good first step. And if you're Team Valk, it was not. Uh, regardless, we return to the network, and Stamets now is remembering having seen Culber die of holding him. Pete, uh, uh, Mira Stamets is on the other side of the, the door saying uh, that Stamets should hurry up. Instead, we hear the Cassilian opera playing, and uh, Stamets says he wants it to be the way it was. They're back to brushing their teeth. The best time of the day where things were normal and things were quiet. Um, and, and here Stamets essentially damns this whole, this whole, um, 
portion of his life, not, not with Culber, of course, but his life's work was, was a mess. And here they've ended up in this hell. And it's Culber who says, don't forget that the network is a thread that weaves life through space. It's yeah. not hell and not a waste. And uh, some affirmation there, Pete. Such a beautiful, tender scene between the two of them. I know that uh, Wilson Cruz said that his favorite scene he's ever filmed was still ahead this season. With this one out, perhaps we can get confirmation as to whether it's this or, or whether it's a later scene. I know there continues to be speculation. Oh, they'll find mirror Culber and, and just bring him back, you know, because he has to, of course, love Stamets in, in every timeline. And I, I don't know if that's fair or proper, uh, from a, from a story perspective. Um, but yeah, that line there about this weaving life through space that the other Stamets, he used this for personal gain, that he was corrupting it, um, that uh, now the stakes, Matt, have raised. And I think these will really be the the end beats for this season being in, you know, uh, episode 12 of uh, 15 now, right? Um, mm-hmm. That uh, uh, eventually everything, everywhere will be exterminated if the network is not fixed. Um, so, yeah, <laughs> forget mirror forget prime it could all go away uh which is really not a threat we've ever dealt with in any incarnation of of star trek a threat to the multiverse yeah um, yeah only in the wonderful novel q squared uh, i think it was q squared but one of the peter david novels that dealt with the multiverse and it as a novel was better. It was the best Star Trek The Next Generation movie that there ever was. It was just a novel, not a movie. But other than that, Pete, you're right. Between our, our combined knowledge of Star Trek, never has the multiverse been been under threat like this. And Pete, never have our hearts been tugged at so much yeah. as the scene ends. How can he find a way out? Just open your eyes. It's never goodbye. I believe in you, Paul. I love you. Ugh. Yeah, the, the clearing in the forest there. And as he comes to, it's uh, Mirror Stamets who says he did it. We see that he is in Med 1 on the ISS Charon. Um, and then uh, Tilly greets our Stamets back, and he gets out of the reaction cube, and he leaves. Uh, he knows about Hugh. And uh, it's too late in the spore uh, room, <laughs> the the mushroom. Mu- get it? Mushroom. Um, <laughs> oh, yes. Yes. Those are coming to New Jersey, by the way, Pete. But I digress. The 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 mushroom. <laughs> <laughs> Something like that. There's some recent changes to law. We'll 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 save that for we'll, later. We'll, we'll see. This could be an entirely different podcast. <laughs> um, the, the sickness has spread to their supply, Matt, which everybody knows you're not supposed to get high on your own supply. Uh, that is true. The notion here that the uh, the spore forest is now dead, which, uh, Pete, that means that's the story telling us it needs to be the defiant plans to get them out, not this, at least mm-hmm. currently. I guess we could have a bloom appearing again, but time will tell. Back to the Chiron. Burnham is putting in a call to Saru, uh, saying that they should rendezvous. Neither is comfortable, since you know this isn't being 
overseen by their captain, Lorca. But that's just how it goes. Uh, Georgiou, once again, is kind of, you know, uh, turning up her nose at the Federation. They're corny through and through. This is intercut with uh, Lorca in the Agonizer getting more. It gets turned up by Maddox, and we're saying, no, poor sweet Lorca, who's been a father to them all. Pete, it's revelation time on the Charon. Burnham and Georgiou here talking about uh, Lorca, uh, the, the rendezvous point and that uh, Saru and her have this uh, set up. This is Federation through and through, Georgiou says. We um, juxtapose this intercut with the discussion between Maddox and uh, Lorca that uh, Maddox's sister loved her. Um, and, uh, you know, this this is something that Maddox wants to get over on Lorca before he kills him or at least maims him. Yeah. And then we start to get to some of these reveals here. Georgiou doesn't mind this Lorca being tortured. Uh, he was her right hand. Uh-huh. Mir- Mira Burnham saw Georgiou as a mother, but Lorca as a father, he groomed her. He chose her. This is intercut with footage of Lorca saying, yeah, you know, uh, on discovery, him choosing mm-hmm. her, uh, that he wanted, uh, to get Burnham. And uh, we see some footage uh, there as well. Emperor Georgiou then notes that she is sensitive to light. It's the the lone biological difference between those races. Wait a minute, Pete. Insert footage of Lorca's many eye problems. Mm-hmm. I was floored. Even though this was a theory that was in play since his introduction, I was yeah. floored. Yeah, and Maddox wants Lorca not to be floored. Don't die on me, you depraved bastard. Goes in there with the paddles, Matt. This is not the way to go. Um, and uh, they they needed to get uh, Burnham uh, onto this ship here. Uh, of course, it doesn't go well. Uh, Maddox ultimately gets the paddles to the head uh, after the fight there. Um, and we get the reveal, you know, directly that Lorca is from their universe, from the mirror universe. Her name was Ava, Matt, and he loved her. But you know how it is. Somebody better came along. Well, Pete, fast and furious, we have a threat analysis coming in. Let's start with the Supreme Empress Georgiou. Yeah, to get um, Michelle Yao back uh, for the end of last episode. Now here in a in a featured episode, our our cup runneth over when we thought that was going to be it for her after those two episodes. And, and then even with the New York comic con reveal that we would see her again, we, we saw her, you know, in a, in a hologram, uh, essentially will, uh, situation. And I think we still held out hope we're rewarded for that. And the, the evil version that eats parts of already beloved characters. I dare say I think I like uh, Michelle Yao's performance as Mirror Georgiou better. And probably that's because 
it's perish it's, it's, the thought. Well, I I think it's more entertaining to see big, broad. I'm bad. I'm evil. You know, it's better to play the baddie than the goodie, particularly when you're the captain who has a good head on her shoulders. And now, listen here, and I will, uh, we will, we will snicker at Saru, but also we shall snicker at Burnham. You know, that this even-handed person to somebody who is stone cold evil. I think the performance is just more fun, not necessarily more nuanced or better, but. What a great presence she is, and how great to have her back, truly. The sword, the mm. the flowing train cape, the uh, the throwing star later, um, even Matt, the the thing in her hair at one point that that looks like a, a dangerous uh, accoutrement that she's she's probably killed uh, an enemy, a lover, both with. Um, and, and Yao was the one to go with, I know we speculated, you know, could, could they go with Kirk? Could they, could they bring in Picard? She is the, the one to carry this off. The, the biggest star at this point in her career that they've ever cast, um, in a, in a Star Trek show. Yeah, really, I mean, phenomenal use of her. Uh, clearly a use that they had in mind, uh, you know, ahead of time. And um, and I'm so glad to have her back here. From her, Pete, we go to, uh, to Maddox, who, uh, again, I appreciate that he was introduced ever so slightly last episode. And um, I think we can be sympathetic with his pain to, 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 large, to, to a large degree here. The idea of uh mirror universe characters being somewhat sympathetic i think is not something we're really used to mm. <laughs> um that he had a uh sister and that she was with Lorca and, and now she's gone at his hands and him wanting to extract, uh, you know, the, the, the torture, the, the satisfaction here just to have him say his sister's name is an interesting wrinkle. It is. And, uh, I mean, probably he's, he's done with, so he's, uh, his star has burned bright and went out with electricity, frying his brain. Pete, Mirror Stamets on the list here, perhaps not the most villainous, but we find out that he is responsible for the corruption of the network. We also, I think, we, we can anticipate his villainy more so in the next episode now that he is back with whatever his research has been. You know, are, are we going to see the negative side of this uh of this this spore drive, which let's not forget was initially uh, initially thought by Burnham all the way back in episode one hundred three to be a weapon. Do we see the weaponized version in the future? If so, it's all at the hands of Mirror Stamets. I am so so excited to finally see some more of Anthony Rapp and here playing in an extended form, albeit in a in the shortest episode we've gotten to date. Two characters. I'm so looking forward to him playing Mirror Stamets with the the tools and the means of uh, access that he's going to have on the Charon. Last but not least, Pete, 
I mean, we, we must admit that a threat analysis now is Lorca, mirror Lorca. So many questions. What happened to Lorca Prime? Um, how has Lorca gotten here? Uh, maybe Spore Drive somehow? Maybe it connects to Mirror Stamets and whatever caused his coma? Um, but the fact that he has come into this universe, not for, you know, not, not by accident, not for some sort of uh, attempt at improvement or whatever it might be, but to get Burnham, the one face that could be used to help topple the Empress, <laughs> merely so that Lorca can use his de facto daughter to take out his, his Empress uh, for whom he was the right hand. And so he can run the entire show as the Emperor. I mean, it's, it's as dastardly as it gets. What a gambit. I'm I'm going to, you know, double it down, Matt. What if there's some way he hopes to be emperor of all universes? We have with the spore drive, the, the stakes have gone up, um, you know, maybe with all of the information that he's amassed here. How do we know he's just also been to the prime universe? Maybe he's been elsewhere um, that he can use all of this knowledge. We had him in that. Uh, threat analysis very early on when he first showed up in that third episode only because of our distrust of the type of characters that Jason Isaacs typically plays. And what do you know, Matt, in episode 12 of 15, suddenly we find out, oh, that's not a character affectation with the eyes he is from the mirror universe and even the emperor is afraid of him because of what he could do to her. The The stakes have gone up so deliciously in this second half of the season. Pete, I would like to propose to any of the writing staff who may be listening at this point that, you know, you have this idea of uh, perhaps he's gone to other universes. Here's my pitch. Uh, we could do, uh, you know, in between seasons one and two, do a quick little, you know, if you want to shoot like a 45 minute episode then chop it up into four or five minute segments, do it across 10 weeks, whatever it's, it's evil Lorca goes to the universe, uh, to a different universe. He takes over Pete, the NSEA protector. <laughs> he kills commander Peter, Peter Quincy Taggart. He kills Dr. Lazarus. He imprisons Tawny Madison, et cetera, et cetera. And, and. There he is flying around in, in Galaxy Quest. And then you can get him on the Orville, too. I mean, it, it, could, be a, it, it could be a whole spinoff uh, web series of uh, Where's Lorca? <laughs> Where's Lorca this week? That crazy, you know, crazy evil guy. Well, Lorca might be traveling the multiverse, sowing evil seeds everywhere, Pete, but we always know where we are with our home base at fantasticgeek.com, kept aloft by those who visit patreon.com slash fantasticgeek, joining in on our crew. Yes, every single contributor gets immediate access to exclusive podcast content. And then there's all sorts of levels from there. If you want the the governor of Andor level, you know, that that is a that is a conversation away, Matt. So get yourself to patreon.com slash fantastic geek with the PH all one word today. Pete, it looks like we have some theories coming in on long-range sensors. I know I have a couple, but let's start with you. 
interphasic space, Matt, the means through which the defiant came through and backward in time. Uh, still no sign of the defiant have to imagine at some point we'll see it. Although the Imperial flagship slash palace being named Charon, you know, for the, uh, the fairy man who brings souls from, uh, the land of the living to the land of the dead did not go unnoticed. The show will be poorly served if they will have introduced a constitution class vessel, which we've already seen kind of the wireframe of and, and, you know, which was also modified as yes, well, which for anybody who's going to say, but wait, they're taking away my star Trek. The defiant has been in the mirror universe for 100 years. We have planes in the real world, like B 52s or something like that. There are bombers in the United States air force that were built in, I believe the fifties that are still in use today. Yeah. Old radar has been swapped out for new radar and satellite connections have been added and the propellers have been upgraded and the fuel economy, all that's been upgraded, but you know, the hull is still there. I'm sure they've cut out holes to include laser targeting and this and that, the other. So I'm totally fine with, with them doing perhaps a slightly different presentation, um, plus I, I think, and with all deep love to classic track and I, I've had the unique and wonderful experience of having seen the, uh, the, the model of the original enterprise that's at the Smithsonian now within sight of, of the other great, uh, uh, you know, real landmarks in aviation. There it is kind of off to the side slightly, but an acknowledgement of the role that, that it has played. It's a lovely design. It's a little soft and a little it, it, it lacks some of the details that you have you know they have nowadays that's that's why in the movies they added the deck plating uh, effect to it just to make it to add texture to make it more interesting if they're going to do that with this and go oh well we made changes also it looks a little bit more interesting and we can do it for story reasons bring it on we must see the defiant before they go back i agree with you and uh i, I think we're at a point of Star Trek history in this 52nd year, Matt, <laughs> right? Where the, the, what comes around goes around. Speaking of coming around and going around Valk, Tyler, Tyler Valk, uh, walk me through this because I'm still confused. I think there is some debate as to who the base unit is. I know we had dialogue from <laughs> Culber's last minute on, on, on earth on, on, you know, alive uh, of saying that this idea of, of Tyler having been printed over a Vok presence. Right. I, my take on some of the dialogue, maybe I misunderstood and I'll certainly go back and rewatch, but my take in some of the dialogue with all this was more that Vox essence, Vox consciousness had been put into Tyler a bit. That the uh, DNA was harvested and, and then the, the memory stuff. Yeah. Like I want to know, like this is this guy's body and it's this guy's memories or, you know, make it a little bit more clear. And I'm sure, again, this writer's room has earned every uh, confidence throughout this season. There's not been a narrative misstep uh, other than uh, errant claims of 
childhoods and, and fandoms ruined, uh, the people who don't watch this show to begin with. So I'm sure as they, as, as the the rules of TV narration divine that there will be healthy exposition as to here is the, the cutout of the, the, the doll upon we've printed the memories here. I'm, I'm sure it'll be faithfully and uh, clearly displayed. I, I just want to know which it is now. Well, I think we have Culber's physical evidence that the bones have been shortened and whatnot. I think here's how I can reconcile some of the things that Laurel says. Maybe in terms of the consciousness soup, there's more Tyler in there than we thought. Um, maybe it's, maybe, you know, Vok is the chassis, but Tyler is the computer. And then they put Vok on top to use a car analogy of which that's the extent of my ability to make a car analogy. Oh, wait, but... wait, I got it now. Okay, so fire like the, the etching on the, uh, on the vehicle that's sometimes, a uh, you know, a, a thing they do in the showroom, they provided that they got a little from this, this body Tyler and they, they put it on top of their Vok. So Vok is definitively the thing underneath and the Tyler stuff has now come to the surface and could stay as the surface. That, to me, that reconciles all the bits of data so far. It then begs the question, if there's a Tyler base unit, at least mentally, and Vok was bonded to that, can we get good Tyler back? Again, and, and this is not an attempt to say, I don't understand the writing staff and the decisions they make and they're all awful. I'm certainly not suggesting any of that, no. but we've come so far in understanding kind of the flavor of that writing room. You know, is this, is this the Whedon-esque, there must be the pound of flesh. I'm kind of thinking Lorca doesn't make it out of the season. Um, you know, does Tyler get thrown in that bunch as well? And we look back and say, ah, do you remember the good old days when it was Lorca and Tyler? They're always going to be season oneers to us. Or, or Matt, is this, well, we've never heard about a, a half Klingon, half human hybrid security person before Kirk. Well, gee, do you publicize that instead of, well, you know what? He, he's in love with a human and he's as human to our eyes as everybody else. And what do you know, our uh, Ahab-esque captain, who was really from the Mirror Universe, is gone now. So, hey, let's go get some chocolate milk, Tyler. I mean, I think, look, all options are available. They just need to justify it emotionally. Because I think, at this point, I'm worried about the Tyler part of Tyler. Um, or if we're going to just really make that separation clear. I'm worried about Tyler and I want to get him back, but I also want Vok the heck off this ship because he represents, you know, it's a, it's going to be a little bit of plastic surgery before you can get Tyler to look like Vok. And now he's back being, you know, what would they, what would they pat themselves on the back as a new Messiah? What I think the better analogy would be, you know, a bin Laden type, uh, for, for the Klingons. Um, perhaps it's a matter of perspective. I don't know, but, you know, we need to get we need to get the Vok out of here, and we need to get Tyler back. <laughs> I don't know that both are possible. Speaking of getting the heck out of there, Matt, now that we have gotten Stamets's 
out of the mycelial plane and into the mirror universe. Um, what is the fate between the two of them? Uh, obviously, there will be conflict there. And Culber as a, a motivation for our Paul Stamets. Well, let's start with that motivation for a second, which kind of dovetails into a theory notion I have. Do we have hope hope of Culber 2 coming to the Discovery? I mean, it it's happened in Star Trek before where you get somebody killed off and they come back. And they're definitively killed off, but they still definitively come back. Um, does that end up satisfying, well, certainly fan concerns, does that end up satisfying story concerns um and then what if yes if no what effect does that have on on our stamets time will certainly tell pete but let me get you on the record here do we get culber 2 returning i mean you're 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 asking me what i really want as opposed to what the show does um I'd have to say no, only because I think decisions made on the show in the narrative have to carry weight. And if anybody can be killed off and, and brought back and I go back on what uh, Wilson Cruz said, his his favorite thing he'd ever filmed. I, I think we've seen it, unfortunately. I say unfortunately because it's the last we may get of him as Stamets's uh, mate um, and, and not as Hugh Culber ever. But um, I, I think the show moves forward, whether he can stay is, is going to be an interesting dilemma to see if it can be solved. With that, let's go to hailing frequencies. Hailing frequencies open, sir. Pete, let's start with the results of a poll we ran on Twitter. Uh, we said, holy crow, what did you think of tonight's stellar episode? And um, a little bit more of a split than I would have thought. Uh, your choices. Four stars, Imperial. Three stars, Blue for Hugh. Two stars, Cranky Stamets. One star, her name was Ava. Uh, 55% said four stars. 29% said three stars. So I guess the good news is that's over 75%. Um, uh, getting, I guess, 85%, uh, almost getting, uh, getting a three or a four, uh, 6% said two stars and a little surprised by 10% for one star. I wonder how many of those are people who don't watch Star Trek Discovery because, or I maybe mean, the episode length. I, I know. Okay. Yeah. So it's 37 minutes, but you know, they've had a lot that are up in the, in the fifties, um, so yeah, I, yeah. I don't quite understand that. And again, we have no way of, of proving what level of, uh, attention those people are actually tuning into the show. Maybe, maybe we'll have to have a quiz to see if, if people who vote on it, Matt actually know, you know, who's who. Um, yeah, concerning the episode length, I think you've hit the nail on the head, and it was a discussion for this past season of Game of Thrones as well, when there was the 45-minute um, loot train episode. Do you complain, or do you say that you've gotten a bonus when you get a 65-minute episode? No. 
you get a 45 minute episode, you feel that you've been cheated because you're supposed to get, you know, 52. Okay. You know, we've and had there some... you're talking, you know, the, the expenditures that go on on that show. And while there's a little bit of a difference at this point, I think it's very fair to say between Star Trek Discovery and Game of Thrones in its seventh multiple Emmy winning season. We're not there just yet. They have not spared one expense on this show. Um, if anything, Matt, I feel like it's the streaming capabilities where we have the most financial shortcomings. It crossed my mind too. And with all uh, due respect to this episode, which I thought was wonderful to me, you know, the, the length notwithstanding was a four out of four. Um, we don't know what the longer edit was. Maybe there's a 45 minute edit out there with, you know, two scenes that just fell on their faces, not through the fault of whatever, but, you know, you're making the episode and you don't realize until the edit comes together, oh man, this doesn't work. Or, you know, whatever, the lighting was bad. I doubt there'd be anything as pedestrian as that. But it, there could have just been, as you watch it, you say, this drags, this drags, this drags. We're, 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 we're pulling the lighting guy into the room and saying, what do you think of this, this, this portion of the scene here? Oh, it's kind of boring, to be honest. You know, I'd rather get a great 35-minute episode. And you said 37, Pete, and the, the, the timer said 37. I'm docking them for previously on and the credits because <laughs> wow. those are easy. You're, you're grading on a harsh curve here, I'm, Matt. I'm but grading on, yeah. Speaking of, uh, you know, lighting, uh, we have uh, a letter here from our friend Fred in the Netherlands. Uh, he says, hello, Matt and Pete. This time I send you a written feedback instead of audio feedback, mainly because I want to show you some stuff. Listeners can look at what I mean by using hashtag lighting STD episode one X one one on Twitter. All one word. Uh, all one word. Under this hashtag, I have posted 10 screenshots of beautifully of beautiful lit scenes from episode 11. I will give episode 11 a 10 out of 10 for its lighting. I'll give the episode as a whole uh, nine nicely lit Vok confessions out of 10 <laughs> and a great screenshot to, to, uh, support that most beautiful quote, Michael to Ash. We all start out with the same drives, the same needs. Maybe none of us, no matter what world we're from, really know what darkness is waiting inside. Thank you for this. You remind me of everything good of what I want my world to look like. Best quote of this episode is by Tilly. Saru speaking to her. Well, I'm impressed. Tilly says, enough that you'll recommend me for the command training program? Fred's comment. Well, obviously she got a taste for it. <laughs> Biggest question. How the hack did Saru know how and when to beam Ash slash Vok on board of the Discovery? Last feedback for this season. I will cease giving feedback for this podcast because I'm always one episode behind. A lot of my feedback on a certain episode is already, quote, old news, unquote, in a podcast about the next episode. I just tried this for a few episodes of Runaways and Star Trek Discovery, but it's not satisfactory. I just can't keep up with you speedy guys. 
smiley, winky emoji. Um, I'm now just going to enjoy your podcast, which I nicely can listen to directly after the episode is available on Netflix here in the Netherlands. So I'm going to relax and enjoy. Perhaps I will give some feedback again when you are going to do a season one wrap-up podcast. Greetings, all the best, Fred. And I have to say that like Fred does because it's such a kick when we hear him sign off when he sends us his audio recordings. That, that, was, that was not a mocking uh, imitation, Fred. It's, it, it is a melody and a joy always to hear from Fred, whether it is written, uh, audio, whatever it might be. And, uh, and, and a treat. And indeed, uh, I'm sure that when we do the season one wrap up, it's not going to be, uh, I mean, at the very least it'll be the week after. So anyone can share their feedback, um, regardless of whether you're watching on Netflix or, uh, or, or CBS all access or indeed on SpaceX in Canada, which I'm still not clear whether that's an online thing or a broadcast thing, but tell us Canadian friends. Um, Pete, let's talk contacts though. How can people be in touch with you? You can find me on Twitter at Peter, P-I-E-T-E-R-J-K-L-A-R-K-E-T-E-L-A-A-R, 9,764 followers. Can't be wrong. And while you can personally find me on Twitter as Looking Back Lost, you can be in touch with the podcast anytime you like. Visit FantasticGeek.com, email FantasticGeek at gmail.com. Check us out on Twitter and Instagram where we are Fantastic Geek as well. But wait, Pete, there's more! Facebook.com slash Fantastic Geek with the PH, all one word, like it today. For those listening on the Pop Culture Podcast feed, that's where you get all Fantastic Geek all the time. We will be back on Friday to talk more Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. and, of course, back next Sunday to talk more Star Trek Discovery. Pete, is it true that we are down to only three more episodes of of Discovery? It is. We've got 13 next week on Sunday, January 28th. Um, Matt, my, you know, I've been told by your daughter that (laughs) I keep the schedule. Actually, you've been told by your daughter that I keep the schedule. Um, I, I said we would take one Sunday night off and do it a Monday. I had my Sundays crossed, uh, in the United States here, Matt, we have a uh, holiday known as Super Bowl Sunday. Um, and if CBS All Access is smart, that episode's going to unlock a lot earlier in the day. Because otherwise, you and I will be enjoying the uh, American football game that night and all of the uh, Buffalo Wings and um, beverages that go with that. And we'll be bringing you Star Trek Discovery the next day that would be uh monday february 5th i had not even stopped to consider that which i suppose says i mean i i I watch the super bowl as do most people but i had not even made that connection i think it's a good call pete one must one must rest accordingly um i will mention very tentatively uh that the the season one wrap would probably uh probably um hit iTunes and hit the website and whatnot um over a week after the last episode, like kind of midweek that that week after it has ended, just so that way we have a little a little space for things and some other logistical issues and whatnot. But probably uh, pr- around President's Day, I'd I'd think Monday the nineteenth would be a, a good time for it to yeah. pop. Somewhere in there, but uh, bottom line is, if you're listening on the Pop Culture Podcast feed, we got more goodies. If you're listening on the 
Discovery uh, feed. We'll be back next Sunday to keep things rocking and rolling. Uh, lots, lots of ponderation online, Pete. You know, do we spend two episodes back wrapping up the Klingon War? I don't know. Like we're we're fast approaching a point where if they're going to wrap everything up, we got three episodes to do it. Hopefully, three episodes that are 15 minutes long, but it's all good. With that, Pete, I will say adios to all our listeners and give you the final word. Somebody better came along. 